0: Hey, everybody. Con Artist here. We're back for some more bi-weekly podcasts to talk about more of what we're watching in the summer. So I realized since we came back, we've gotten into a bad habit, which I want to correct. Spoiler warning. Just be aware that for all the shows we're going to talk about, uh, there's spoiler warning because we're just going to roll right through talking about the episodes. So if you're really uh, sensitive to spoilers, you may want to uh, save these podcasts for another time. Okay, so let's roll right in. Dan, how's the uh not at all Scooby-Doo Vatican all about the Christian mysteries?
1: Oh, Vatican Miracle Examiner. Um I I honestly don't know how to feel about this one because mm. it's it's terrible. It's incredibly bad. All of the structural problems and cinematography issues are still there. Just as bad, if not worse, than they were in episode one in both Definitely episodes. Definitely worse. Oh, yeah, in episodes three and four. The storytelling is ter- is terrible. Scott, I, you, you actually just mentioned that to me before this. Um, but at the same time, there's a reveal at the end of it which is so beyond what I was expecting. Like, I knew exactly where this was going, and we will get into that in a second, but I knew exactly where the story that they were telling was going uh, for this particular arc, but I didn't realize just how far they were going to take it. And unfortunately, I don't think they can top it after this. Show's over. I'm
2: actually expecting that the show won't continue. Like, I don't know how you have anything after this.
0: Would they have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling hot guys and that crying Maria statue?
1: Basically, <laughs> yes. So here's wow, okay. Here's the thing: they are. Th- this is a bunch of you know, this is a couple of these Vatican miracle examiner dudes flying to South America or Central America, I should say, uh, to investigate this church where these you know creepy and weird goings on have been going. You know, there's everything from you know, apparently immaculate conception, weeping Stat- statue of Mary. Uh, a bunch of murders start happening as soon as they show up. Lots of bad juju. And there's a lot of suspiciously German names being thrown around a few times. And for anyone who knows anything about the history of the you know early to mid-20th century, you know that the stereotype is that a lot of uh, Germans, a lot of Nazis specifically, fled to South America following the uh, fall of the Third Reich at the end of World War II. And... Yes, that's exactly where they were going and you could tell this from the beginning. They weren't exactly subtle about it. Maybe that fact is less known in Japan, I don't know. But
0: seriously, Nazis is where oh my we're
1: going. Goodness. Oh Oh, it goes so, so much further. So many Nazis. <laughs> but there are what? S- there are so many Nazis. They flew a zeppelin over there and like, like established this school school with like hidden funds to continue their research into trying to figure out a way to cr- to create the ubermensch but the problem all right, listen
0: i'm getting a little annoyed here dan because the person who was supposed to talk about random crap that was completely disjointed and made no sense was me for sympho gear. you are really stealing my thunder here <laughs> like, am, in how absolutely nonsense vatican chan adventures is going
1: i am not sorry at all this it was a it was a roller coaster <laughs> But, so, yeah, they like they discovered that they discovered that there's all these secret Nazis, but even crazy which is really weird because, as far as I'm aware, Nazism and Catholicism really don't quite jive together, so how they combine the two is really weird, but whatever, whatever, that's not the point. Well, They're also the,
2: drug dealers and psychoactive drugs to fund the church, so I don't think they're exactly staying close to any tenets here.
1: That's true. they're basically indoctrinating all of these ch- all of these children who are either like the the children or grandchildren of uh of former Nazis to, uh, you know, to create a new Reich here, somehow using laundered money through the Vatican. Uh, that's where the whole connection comes in. And the, th- the, th- the key here is their big, their big secret, their big mystery, the thing they've been hiding the most, secret Hitler.
0: Secret Hitler! Little Hitler, no, they no actually whoa, whoa.
2: well that that's the next part of the story. you can't no, get full,
1: there yet full grown cryogenically preserved Hitler is just sitting there in a case in the bowels of this uh school, and... no,
0: no, you know what, I'm gonna let Brendan say it because he's the one who got to yell about it in zeta Brendan say no, really loud. <laughs>
3: No,
1: that's
0: not how science works. Okay. <laughs> no, it
1: is not. But that doesn't stop them because not only have they preserved Hitler, they have also multiple times impregnated women to, with his genetic material to create a son of Hitler.
0: Stop <laughs> oh. saying words. Oh. And then, oh like the,
2: the kid, the kid like grows up normal, and then suddenly at age thirteen, he's like, "I'm possessed by the spirit of Hitler. It's time to oh. form the Third Reich again, oh. y'all." What are you even
0: talking about? No, 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 no.
1: So, oh my goodness, that's Vatican miracle examiner. So, if that storyline alone, like the problem is the problem with this, besides the cinematography, is it takes way too friggin' long to get there. This entire mystery could have been compressed into two, maybe three, if you pushed it episodes. But like none, nothing makes sense. Like the murders aren't the murders are just this kid being insane. They don't actually tie into religion though they try to like make it seem like that's a big thing and there's all this other stuff there's a ton of other characters who are given way more screen time than there's any reason for them to have because as far as I can tell they're going to be dropped from the show as soon as these guys you know head back to the Vatican now that this mystery is completely solved there's no reason for them to stick around it's there's, just, there's so many problems with this. Lots of deus ex is thrown around. Lots of, man, I'm really glad that we did blank when we had no indication to, re- to believe that they did blank at any point. Um But yeah, just total train wreck, but so bizarrely over the top that I can't help but kind of enjoy it.
0: Ugh. That's just, okay. My gosh, that... That is not even close to how ridiculous I was ever expecting anything you guys picked to get, but okay, fine. Well,
1: this is where this is where we're at, and can't say any more about it that I've already gone on too long, so who's up next?
0: Brendan, is it time for action heroin cheer fruits?
1: Actually
3: no.
0: <gasps> Actually I, uh, what?
3: <laughs> I've uh I spent the weekend before last at my friend's place where it was too much of a hassle to try to pull up my hidev account. Because they don't have a TV app yet. And uh, I've been spending most of my other waking moments since then trying to spec out a new computer to replace my dinosaur of a desktop. Uh, so I was only caught up on one show until today when the fifth episode dropped. <laughs> and that show is neither Action Heroine Cherifruits nor Centaur's Life. It is.
0: Gasp from left field. It's.
3: It's Turi Duri Children. However, you that's literally just possible. made that up. How does that I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. Ture Zure children.
2: Oh, all right. What's the premise?
3: Uh it's about uh I want to say late middle school kids uh like uh falling in love question mark or like romance, I guess. The um the shows are only or the ep- the episodes are sort of 12 minutes long except they're not really it's Really the episodes are like 3 minutes long. They just drop 4 at a time. Weird. Because there's like every episode has 4 segments in it where it focuses on a different one of the couples and there's actually more than 4 couples, so it makes it a little tricky to f- keep track of where anybody is in uh. or or how many people there are total. <laughs> I'm having a little trouble with it. Is it uh, enjoyable? It's- it's cute. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying watching it, or I wouldn't have hmm. put four episodes in. Uh, like, the I like the character designs. I like most of, like, the, the little romances, they waste no time. Like, they pack a lot in their three minutes, that's for sure.
0: So, Brendan, oh. is it like a four-minute, sorry, four-episode arc? So it'll be like, and then these two characters, and then move on to some other two?
3: Well, it's not really an arc in that they're not connected to each other at this time. Oh, okay. They're just vignettes. Right. Uh oh, okay, and-
0: that can be fun.
3: So like so far, a couple of the characters have had two, uh, but there's uh, like there's not a lot of uh, uh, continuity, I guess. On the whole, it's um, I want to say like a couple of them have been a little uh, racy, I want to, and uh, a couple of them have been a little uh, what's the word I'm looking for aggressive, but on the whole, it's a pretty decent watch. I actually went into the season intending to try all of the, like, romance shows, and then eventually dropped most of them. Uh, Comedy Brendan, Boyfriend. Brendan, I feel
0: like we need a, um, like, a video of you laying on the bearskin, like, Deadpool. That's just, like, the <laughs> static image, and then you just talking your way through all the romance shows of the summer.
3: <laughs>
2: Attention, everyone. Romance with Brendan.
3: <laughs> Heavens. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to make it through Comedy Boyfriends, the... Uh, the production values aren't as high as most of the other shows going on this season and the character designs are a little too shojo for me uh love and lies looked like it was going to be weird and i've heard that it gets very weird and also trashy yeah. so, i didn't know i didn't watch fast the first episode of that one partially because i was annoyed that the half moon at midnight was not on the horizon <laughs> oh
0: my goodness be. a
2: common complaint
0: were you looking up at the half moon oh, I was oh and so <laughs> yes, were they yes 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 there's my moment
3: <laughs> the first episode of that show they actually had the moon backwards um, <laughs> and what was the other one? Oh, I was like I'm gonna watch my first girlfriend as a gal and then <laughs> that... when, I, when I tried to load up the first episode the crungy um, roll froze on the first frame for a little while and I was like is that is that an upskirt shot with a uh, a broadcast sensor graphic on it? And then I like a hit reload, and yes, yes, it was. And
2: <laughs> so what? The one
0: quit the browser. The one frame
2: test. I that like it. was it, the end of that.
3: Well, I actually I got it rolling enough to like there was a, There's a short prologue, and then there's the opening credits, which did not instill a lot of confidence. But it really went downhill once the once it actually started for real, and the guy, <laughs> like the main character, guys started talking to each other because they are all incredibly creepy. Ooh. Good God!
0: Oh, jeez.
3: So, geez. so basically, I'm still following Sorry, Deary Children out of all four of those, and like heavens, between it's got enough, uh, it's got enough couples in it to last like the uh, the whole season. That's oh, for sure.
1: Fair enough. Oh, very well, good. well, uh At least you found Brent... something good. I was going to say, Brendan having been unlucky in love, shall we say, um, (laughs) shall we move on? Who's next?
0: It's me with Symphogear Season 4, y'all! All All right. So uh, there's too much random nonsense going on in Symphogear Season 4, so let's just be aware. I'm not going to, like, connect anything I'm talking about. It's on you to have watched 1 through 3, and if you didn't, just... (laughs) like laugh along with me and and piece together the story you think is happening
1: good luck
0: so, so yeah so let's let's do it together so the uh the Bavarian Illuminati summoned some sort of giant invincible snake but then it got defeated so it wasn't really <laughs> invincible anyway so remember last time how I discussed that uh the show can essentially pull plot threads out of absolutely nowhere because none of its storyline, like, really makes sense. It is a loose and fast storyline. So this time, it turns out that there's, like, a metric ton of relics that the show has been talking about these magic relics that have turned into Symphogear armor. Like, Subass is called Heavenrend, and that's the one with the bunch of swords. And so, so these apparently... Like we're in Germany, like Germany was using them for something in World War Two or wanted to use them in World War two, and they made their way to Japan, damn you secret the two Hitler were allies, yeah, secret yeah. Hitler, yeah, so they made their way to Japan, and I guess like that can now explode plot threads where they can just keep making up different types of relics and armor that can come out of nowhere, so I'm prepped for wild nonsense to ensue because now these relics which were relatively contained to the girl's sympho gear is just it's the, the the freaking caskets wide open now and they can do whatever the heck they want with this problem. as if
2: they didn't already have a place called the treasury of babylon that was full of yeah because that
0: happened that that freaking happened that was a thing um, okay, so the highlights of episode three, I'll be talking about episodes three and four, by the way. The highlight of episode three is that at one point, the girls get trapped in a pocket dimension. Now, this is the lead girls, uh, Chris Yukine, uh, Hibiki, and subasa They all get trapped in this, like, the A-team. So they get trapped in this pocket dimension. And now this whole time, like, you know, you, you know everybody's motif. There's guns, there's, pe- you know, hit Oh my gosh, Hibiki punches people and Tsubasa's swords. So, Chris Yukine is like, all right, here's what we're gonna do, because the enemy is apparently invisible in this pocket dimension. She's like, here's what I'm gonna do to find the enemy I'm going to shoot miniature Bluetooth speakers out of my guns, and they're just gonna like fall all over the pocket dimension. We're gonna sing into this mic. And our voices are going to bounce around this pocket dimension and echolocate until we find the enemy. So
1: your your first wow. instinct wasn't fire in every direction and let them sort it out. Actually, hilariously, no. she che- they thought that's what they
2: thought she was doing. They're like, you can't just fire randomly in every direction; you'll never hit anything. And she's like, I'm firing speakers, guys.
0: She's like, oh yeah, wait. There's there's going to be some logic to this. It's just so nonsense, but so. I don't know. I was just laughing the whole time. I was like, "Well, thank goodness it's come to this."
2: <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> also, get him, who Chris. Cook you
0: with that? Yeah, good job, good job. Um, in other news, some sort of horrible new character has been activated. She acts oh, like no, a child it's Tiki, and Tiki, and she just keeps screaming for some guy named Adam. And it's it's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah,
2: like the main um, theme of the villains this season it appears is like love. Like that's their their deal. As far as I can tell, all their stuff has giant hearts on it. Tiki loves this one guy. They're, they're, like, the other, like, one of the girls' attacks are just hearts. So, yeah, their... I mean,
0: there's there's the alchemy carryover from season three. This is and... true. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's more of a carryover. In my opinion, it's more of a carryover from season, like, one or two because Saint Germain keeps being like. I'm here to break humanity from the chains of confinement, and you're like, seriously, this shtick? It's okay. Finae like, again. Like Yeah, it's fine again. It's season season one nonsense. But yeah, I mean Scott's right, they all have like Sailor Moon style crystal hearts on all of their artifacts, all of the Pavarian Illuminati. They're the, the Philosopher's Stones in
2: case you're wondering.
0: Yeah, they are actually. They mentioned that. Because they use the Philosopher's Stones to weave them into Faust robes, which were a thing in season three, and that's how they transform. Right. But that's in that's that's in F four, y'all. So, uh in F four it's revealed that Subasa, like Team House Kazanari, which is Subasa's last name, held a bunch of these relics, like from Germany that were smuggled into Japan. So House Kazanari has a bunch of them and I, I don't know, it's so weird. One thing that uh, I, I did find rather impressive is that I mentioned last time that Maria Shirabe and Kirika, so their B team. The B team. The B team. They cannot, they don't sync properly with their Symfo gear. Still? So, no, well, they, they never did. They never they, did. This is actually a carryover.
1: in the past, but you'd figure they would have resolved that by now anyway. Well, actually, well, they've, been, no,
2: they've been slowly yeah. running out of the stuff they use to link
1: up. Like, uh-huh. now right, so out. They,
0: they have this substance called Linker, which they'd have to, like, inject into Remember, themselves. you said you weren't going
1: to go into the backstory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, this is true. They need, they, anyway, they need Linker to do this, and there is no more Linker. And so they are constantly running around in not Symfo gear having to do stuff for the plot. They're like, man, we need to evacuate the citizens out of this town. Yeah, we're just going to have to do it without Symfo gear and they'll the just B-team do that. in their shorts. <laughs> yeah, so they run around in in shorts and they do stuff. And I was kind of impressed that the show is really, like, slow rolling out. I think how they're going to deal with B-Team. So, anyway, it's, a, it's an impressive feat. Um, I guess the only other thing I'll say is that the show... I don't know if it's the animators or the writers or whatever who just keep being conscripted into writing more symfo gear, but they've just hit a point where they're, like, hardcore making fun of their own show. So the one villain... In episode four, like, Team B shows up, right? And she's like, oh, it's just you, Team Neapolitan. And they're like, Neapolitan? And it's like, yeah, Maria's hair is pink, Shirabe's hair is effectively black, and Kirika's hair is blonde, so they're Neapolitan, the ice cream, and she's like, I don't want to fight you, ice cream team. Where's Team Primary Colors? They're the <laughs> ones I want to fight. And I was like, This is amazing. And so when the other team A team shows up, she's like, Oh gosh, it's you. Primary colors is here. Now it's serious business. And I was just oh, I was laughing so hard. I was laughing so hard. So Team Neapolitan. That was that was really good. So the show is continues to be uh entertaining and exciting and has fairly good music and it's pure nonsense y'all it's pure nonsense mm. thank goodness for this show and of course episode four ends with a man completely naked blowing <laughs> up part of the earth yeah he's just like the hi there
2: i'm lodge master adam and i can throw a fireball the power of the of the tunguska uh, uh what do you call it uh, impact yeah, the like, anytime blast. i yeah anytime i want
0: yeah, like, he's oh, just like, I'm oh, transmuting gold, and then he, like, blows up part of the ground, and he does this fully naked.
2: Just, just So, Sinfo
0: Gear guys, Symphogear. It sure is a show.
2: Let's see, so I'll take it from there. Now that, so, I've uh, been watching the Isekai no Shokudo restaurant to another world, and it continues to be, like, very strictly follow its formula, which is a person shows up, they are given food, the food is amazing, they go back, and their life may be changed. Uh, so briefly we had episode, I'll be covering episodes four and five because it turned out I actually talked about episode three last time. Uh, first there's a village of lizard men and their greatest warrior gets to go eat omelets, uh, like once a week and then bring back like omelet doggy bags for the rest of the village. Uh, so I mean, it was pretty cut and dry. That's the first half. The second half, uh, a vegetarian elf shows up and she's like, huh, humans don't know how to make vegetarian food. Like, I don't even know why I'm here. And the guy's like, I will make for you the finest tofu steak. <laughs> and then he does. And she's like, holy Jesus. Why is this so amazing? I'm going to become a cook to prove that we are better than humans, us elves. Because this is the best thing ever.
0: <laughs> what? So like, okay.
2: So, like, she just runs back to her world and she's like, I'm going to be a chef. Like, I have to beat the humans. They can't be this good. Uh, and so that was episode four and uh and i guess what did they eat the lizard man ate the omelets and she ate the tofu sake i mentioned it okay so then like episode five there's a lion man gladiator and uh by happenstance his gladiator cage has the door in it he walks in and eats uh Catsidon, which is like pork cutlet bowl and uh it's amazing and he's able to win his fights and every time he wins a fight he wins some gold so he's uh he's been the, the dominant guy in the gladiator match for 20 years thanks to all the protein and uh amazingness of this food Wow. And then the second half, we have a half-elf sorceress. So half-elves are sort of a tragic um, race in that no one really likes them, and they're sort of ostracized from both sides, like both the humans and the elves. Uh, but they can become very powerful sorceresses. So she's done that and um, comes over to the, the world to eat pudding uh, once a week. And of course. Of it course has... it's pudding. Of course it's pudding. And she has... She's pushing forward magical research, essentially the technology of the other world, because she really needs a refrigeration system to have more pudding kept cold. So like that's her great achievement.
0: Scott, this sounds like the newest plot of uh that terrible game you play. Oh. Neptunia.
1: Ugh.
2: Oh. It no, sounds the like pudding. the next Neptunia the game Pudding. Plot. No, it was it was pretty decently done. Like again, they all have they're all decently compelling and there's enough stuff about the other world to keep it interesting. So it continues to be high quality and the food looks delicious, but there's not much more to say than what I just said. So who's next? So would you also
0: consider this show like vignette style?
2: Very vignette. There's two vignettes per episode.
1: Straightforward
0: That's kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's kind of
2: neat.
1: All right. Uh, I guess that brings it back to me. So real quick, um, besides uh, Miracle Examiner, I'm also following Princess Principal. Oh, but yes. frankly... Actually,
3: uh, I might duck out of this uh, just to avoid the spoilers myself.
1: Right, Fair enough. Move. We will catch you next well, time. Well, all right, then. Have fun, guys.
0: Thank
1: mm. you. So uh, Princess Principal. just, I don't know. I don't really care for any of the characters. The world itself, like the visual aesthetic, is still pretty cool, like very mm. solid. It's, you know, as good steampunk as you're going to get. Don't really like the costume designs because they just, it's like, all right, let's just take these outfits and put frills and corsets on everyone and expect them to Isn't still... that pretty
0: much what steampunk is, though? Yeah, but you could
1: still do better than that. Anyway, uh, personal pet peeve there. But uh, the problem is that they've also kind of fallen into a rut storytelling-wise. Both of the last two episodes are, we use the princess as our, like, key to get into a place because, you know, no one's going to say no to her. Then we rob the place blind and, ter- and like, bad things happen to the, people, uh, to the people who get in our way. And the problem is, is that... If this happens more, even one more time, somebody's gonna start to notice a pattern. Every time the princess shows up, places, like the places get robbed, people get killed. There's I mean, a lot and we've
2: of... we, and we've got that guy. It's the Duke of Normandy, and when he gets involved, things are getting get
1: serious. I feel. I suppose so, but he's already there. Like they know who well, he, he wasn't, is.
2: He's... He wasn't there in the latest episode, but he was there like uh, he the was. first time we introduced princess.
1: No, he was. He was the dude standing next to the queen that one time.
2: Oh, okay, I guess that's true.
1: Yeah, yeah they they should have introdu- reintroduced him because you know, other than being a deep voice old man, there's really not a lot to him. But yeah, so plot wise, it's kind of spinning its wheels right now. We'll see if that gets any better. Still not a big fan of most of the characters, especially not the princess's assistant. Like oh, Beatrice. Beatrice, who is like supposed to be really tragic because like her father experimented on her when he went because he went crazy. And she now has this like robotic voice box instead instead of being able to speak normally. So on the one hand, this allows her to like mimic other people's voices, apparently even voices of people she hasn't heard clearly. But also, uh, but also her voice has an off switch. And I can only pray that the rest of the cast uses this, just abuses that completely.
2: It got used once already. Wow! All right. But your face once was like, a... "I don't want to listen to you yelling anymore," and click.
1: Yep, I can only hope that that happens again. But uh, yeah, so far it's pretty much just like you know, it's you know, bloodless PG thirteen action for the most part. Yeah, uh, you know, they try to be like, "Oh, we're spies!" Like you know, everything's everything's all about like shades of gray and lying and whatnot. And so far, it's like, no, pretty much everything you've done, with the exception of shooting that guy in the first episode, has been pretty cut and dry.
2: Yeah, like, I feel like these are sort of team-building episodes. Like, last episode, we learned about Beatrice and the princess, and so on. This episode, they've agreed to finally let the princess participate on the front lines, kind of. So, like, the team is now together and all working together.
1: I suppose
0: so,
2: but I
1: don't
0: All right, feel wait a minute. Remind really me. The princess that. is Angie? No, no.
2: Angie is just another... She's, like, the most experienced spy and princess. They know each other somehow from childhood, which is something they're obviously going to explore more in the show. But uh, Angie's just kind of the best spy regular Europe or regular England has.
1: Yeah.
0: Did you guys talk about Princess in the last cast?
1: Not really, because she's not much of a character. She's just kind of Her name is
0: just Princess? Her name, as
2: far as the show is concerned, is Princess. She
0: has a name, Uh,
1: but I don't remember it.
0: Not important. Not really.
1: And she's like, you know, she doesn't want to be a princess. She actually is trying to become the queen uh, for reasons that are still not entirely clear. Like, she wants to... I think it's like, you know, tear down the barriers that were keeping her and Angie apart because, of course, they have to be lesbians. There's no way that people could just be friends in, a, in an all-girl team-up Yeah, up like,
0: oh, I know, seriously. It's like,
1: I don't mind it, but every single time. Yeah, it, it's
0: like they don't know how to write women being friends anymore.
1: Pretty much. But anyway, yeah, shows just... It's not terrible. Like, the action scenes are decent enough, but the quality has kind of slipped a little since episode one, so... I'm gonna keep it going. It hasn't like done anything to really turn me off, but it's definitely not doing much to really secure my interest long term.
2: Yeah, I'm still, I'm still also enjoying it, but yeah, it's it's nothing spectacular, I guess.
0: All right, well, that's too bad. Seems like it's squandering all that art a little bit. Bit. All right,
1: Sue, it's back to you with uh, Brendan. It is back
0: to me because Brendan has jumped out. Okay, so um, welcome to the ballroom. I'll be talking about episodes three through five. Weirdly enough, because episodes four and five. Uh, came together yeah. this week. Okay, so three and four are kind of standard fare. Uh, Tatara, the lead character, gets to go and see his first ballroom competition. These are actually less about like how competitive dance works and is scored per se, and more character buildy episodes. So uh, last time I told you we met like arch rival guy. His name is Hyodo, and uh, Shizuku is lead heroine girl. So, Hyodo and Shizuku are a couple, and uh, they're in the dance competition, so you get to see them doing standard dance with the waltz, and uh, Hyodo, it turns out, has a... His leg is giving him a lot of pain, so he ends up, like, falling down some stairs and being unable to participate, and he's missing, so, uh, Sengoku pushes Tatara in, and he's like, just go dance with Shizuku so that, like, hopefully no one notices it's you, somehow. Somehow. So they end up doing a dance, and what's amazing- yeah, I don't know. What's amazing is that, um... It turns out that Tatara's secret ability is that he just has, like, an incredible natural muscle memory. So just having watched Kyoto and Shizuku dance at the studio a whole bunch of times, he can mimic, to an extent, their original routine. So he, like, half pulls off some of the moves they had in their original routine that they made, they choreographed, and he's only seen it, like, a couple times. So it's this incredible feat because you should not be able to do this at all, in the slightest. Um, later on, Hiro ends up coming back. We get to see the tango. Now this is done with like really rapid camera shots, and what's really bizarre is that, you know, unlike say like Yuri on Ice or uh, some of the other shows, since it's dance, I think they're trying to convey this like sense of intensity, especially with Latin dance, that. I I don't know how other people feel about it, but when you watch the art, it's like borderline grotesque is the only word I have for it in the way like their bodies are bending and weaving and moving. And you're like, I get what's going on because you're trying to convey the intensity and passion of what they're doing because the Latin dance is is super sexy. But
1: it just becomes off-putting.
0: Yeah, it's, like, slightly off-putting, and couple that to their character designs, which, like I explained last time, their weird, like, long necks and, like, elongated body parts, it just looks strange and off-putting, and it's a very interesting stylistic choice, I'll go with that, Um, but it's impressive. And and uh, that, that episode goes through. I think what's most important out of these episodes is that the understanding that being a couple in ballroom dance is, Sengoku calls it this, it's like akin to finding a marriage partner. It's not just anybody. You need to be able to pick uh, a person who really, really resonates with you. And I think what's special about Tatara is that he is kind of like the persona main character. Like he, he ends up teaming up with this, the sister of some obnoxious guy at the end. And that seems to be his new partner for now. But he literally like figures out how to read her within a few minutes. And there's this amazing scene where they're doing a dance together and he can almost predict her moves as the leader. He knows like what she's going to do and how her body movements signify the motions he should make as the leader of the dance. It's, so I think the show is going to be this interesting exploration of just the couple dynamic of how ballroom dance works and how important it is to really trust and understand your partner. Um, speaking of, women not allowed to be friends, uh, Hyodo and Tatara actually have, like, a really neat friendship going so far that has not veered into homosexual territory. So, I-, I like their dynamic thus far. Hyodo doesn't have, like, a ton of personality as far as the show goes so far, but he he's clearly, like, a good guy. He sees that is talented, and instead of, like, cutting him down or having weird-ass sexual tension with him or something, he just... He's kind of encouraging in his own way, so it was, it was nice to have that in in the show. So that's overall, funny. it's it's still really interesting. It has some weird stylistic choices, and it has veered away from teaching you any form of dance. Aww. But yeah, that was sad. However, um, it's still very engaging. I'm really excited to see where it goes because it, it moves very fast. No, that's that's not a pun or a joke. Huh. <laughs> But anyway, it's a good show, and I I do recommend it if you're into sports shows of any type. Very, very different. All right, neat.
2: Well, moving on from there, there's uh, Knights in Magic, subtitled The Importance of Being Nesty, And uh, the show continues to be pretty good, if a little kind of over-the-top. The The main character is super great at everything. Uh, And so he... Due to, due to like killing this giant behemoth in episode two, he gets to have an audience with the king of the nation. And he's like, what I want is to be able to build my own ether reactor, which is sort of the core of the technology of these, these mechs, like is this thing. It's a national secret and it's the most highly kept secret of their country. And the king is like, "Uh, well, what would you like, you know, why would you, why do you want this amazing technology? And he's like, oh, what's my hobby? Like, cause he's the sort of the mech otaku kid or whatever reborn. And he's like, you know what? like fine you could have said any number of things for power or ambition but like that's an interesting goal if you build me the greatest mech ever i will give you the technology to like build the reactor necessary to put into it that's awesome so, my
0: my ambition your highness is literally massive nerditude
2: that is pretty much his thing like there's a scene in like episode five where there's some i'll be cupping episodes three to five and he's like i could go out there and fight against this other mech but it's against my sense of aesthetics only a mech can fight another mech it's like wow you're you're pretty committed to the bit sir uh mm-hmm. and That's so good. he basically he's like he accepts this thing he goes back and his school kind of puts together like with his amazing whatever knowledge they, they start improving this mech uh and then it's a big hit it has it's, it has flaws it has problems it runs out of gas too quick basically but uh the, the the guy who's in charge of actual development for the nation is like okay lock everything down i'm taking that like, I don't know how you did this, but because it took us 200 years to build the last improvement on our mechs, but we need to understand what's going on here. And, like, he basically tries to steal a thing. He's like, he has one of the scenes, ah, oh, I'll be, this will be under my cognizance now. And Ernest, he's like, oh, good. He's like, uh, aren't you going to be angry about it? Or, like, I'm I'm taking it all away from you. And he's like, oh, thank goodness. Like, this isn't even, this isn't my final plan. Like, I'm going to make a much better one. And now you have the responsibility of explaining it to the king, which is great, because it's kind of boring. And the guy's like, "You want to do more?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." And then he pulls out his like giant plans. He's like, "Here's all the things I want to do." And by the end of a couple of days, he's like, "All right, you're basically in charge of our nation's mech development program." <laughs> so like Dang. that's where he's now I wonder, if
1: this, how... is, I wonder <laughs> if this is all going to spark off some kind of mech arms race. That would be an interesting uh, way which to just video. happened. So episode hey.
2: 4 and 5, basically an arrival nation has stolen they basically managed to steal the new mech and there's a dramatic fight and whatever, but they make it away with one unit. And the king is like, okay, uh, like it's clear we have enemies out there that might be doing something bad. They have the most powerful unit anyone's ever seen and they can probably build more. Uh, you and your friends are now designated the order of the silver Phoenix. And your job is to make better mechs for our country. So we've got sort of a new objective and you obviously know if they hadn't thrown the silver
0: in there. Like JK mm. Rowling could have sued them.
2: That's right. and uh, yeah, it's it's it was like when they were saying it, I was like, that seems oddly familiar. Uh, but so I guess that's the new plan, like get get the country ready, make, make new mechs, and wars on the horizon. So, uh, despite the fact he's perfect at everything, it's still an interesting watch, and he's still just so earnest about doing everything that you can't help but cheer for him. So that's knights and magic.
0: Nerditude,
2: uh, nerditude to the max. So who's got a brief overview of some of the shorter shows we're following?
0: Not me.
1: <laughs> well, super brief. Um... I've still been following um, Shogun no uh, Altair, and it is actually pretty decent. It's solid. It's serviceable. That's really the best I can say for it. Uh, re- still, really like the visual designs. Character designs are for the most part pretty cool, though. What they keep doing with like these weird leather skin tight outfits for all of the special forces in what's clearly supposed to be a you know late medieval renaissance ish setting uh, kind of puts me off. But um, the characters are, you know, fairly compelling. They seem to have realized that you can't make us care about a character without giving us at least a hint of their background, so...
0: Now, Dan, is it still moving about 3,000 miles an hour? It's still moving
1: moving pretty quick, but it's a little less uh, breakneck than the first two episodes. Episodes three and four pace themselves out a lot better, uh, especially because now our hero is no longer, like, in this position of really high authority. He's essentially been stripped of his rank for going out of uh, going out of his way and forgetting his duties essentially, though he uh, managed to accomplish some good deeds and save a lot of people, he still you know he wasn't thinking about the big picture and may have caused more problems than you know than he than he ran into in the beginning. So he's now you know sort of traveling around and trying to gain the experience and knowledge necessary to really be worthy of this uh, position and well, at the same time, trying to prevent war between not Germany and not Turkey.
2: Right. I think what I like about it, like, it's it's very different from the show we thought it was going to be templated off of, which is a uh, Legend of Arslan. Like, this is not about a guy leading armies. It's basically a solo journey with maybe some companions of this guy trying to sort of find his way and, and figure out how to accomplish his goals. Like, it's him and his giant eagle, and that's pretty much it.
1: And, yeah, the uh, char- the supporting characters that he meets now and then. But he doesn't seem to be picking them up and collecting them like freaking Pokemon this time. So right. that's pretty cool. Um, I do hope that uh, we get to see more, like, politicking and less everything has to end in a sword fight. Like, the fights are neat, but I feel like they're relying on them a little too much. I would like to see them finish something or finish something with a debate or an interesting, like, tense situation that doesn't come down to fisticuffs. But that's its own thing. Uh, overall, yeah. Pretty solid, decent design, and uh, looking forward to seeing where it goes. Good, very nice. Uh,
2: let's see, I'm just, I'm still kind of following Smartphone, etc. Who, uh, <laughs> man, it is just like the biggest male power fantasy show. <laughs> that oh, kid geez. can do literally anything. He's like, oh, summoning magic, boom, heal any any illness at all, bam, got that. Teleport anything anywhere, got it. Like save the kingdom twice in the same episode uh and every girl uh loves him every girl wants him of course him or
0: so. and Tenchi need to like get into a cage match to see who comes out as the final protagonist and that yeah,
1: right. guy from uh, uh war on geminar of course
2: that, that's the Tenchi guy yeah
0: yeah that's Tenchi.
1: is it uh yeah,
2: whatever. it's like tenshi's brother or something i don't know it's, it's close enough uh fair enough so it's I mean, the setting is still kind of interesting, but boy, oh boy, like this harem is growing at an exponential rate.
0: <laughs> Good gracious.
2: So that's what I got for that one.
0: Uh. All right. Well, I I think we should just like, even though we're across the Internet, I think we should try and stab at each other. Because unlike Dan, I think this podcast should end in a sword fight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> dun 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 dun! Dink dink dink
0: dink dink dink, dink. <laughs> dink, 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 dink. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll catch you next time. See you next time. This is a podcast by The Con Artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.